What is up, everyone? Ryan Ray in the War Room, as always. Today, my guest is Zach Bitter. But first, if you could, go over to the newsletter, sign up, register. That way you never miss an episode. That's at warroommedia.com. Okay, let's get now to my guest today, who is Zach Bitter. And this dude, can you can you call someone a freak today and still be positive? Because he is. He is an ultra-marathon runner. He holds the... Or sorry, he held world records for the hundred mile and uh, run and the twelve hour run. I mean, it this dude. I'm amazed by someone like that who can just run and run. It's like Forrest Gump, just keep on running. I don't know how they do it, which is why I wanted to have him on the podcast today. So let's get to my conversation with Zach. Well, Zach, welcome to the War Room. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, I was telling you offline. I just uh, spoke with uh, Chris Duffin yesterday and. And I let off that podcast by saying that he is jacked and I am unjacked, right? So, right. So that, that's the dichotomy there. In this one, I'm going to start by saying you are fit, thin, healthy. I am all of the un in front of all of those. And so it's a, <laughs> I, I'm hoping to learn how to do these things from people like yourself. And so it's great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. If, if nothing else, hopefully one, either Chris or I will send you one direction or the other. <laughs> if, if I can kind of get, get the Venn diagram of both of you two, it's yeah. not me. No, I'm not, I'm not matches. the Venn diagram. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, what got you into running? Yeah, you know, I got interested in running probably for the first time in middle school when our Phi Ed class did Presidential Physical Fitness Challenge. And that was really my first kind of just view into that you weren't just good or bad at sports. You were, there's like a spectrum and you could be very good at one aspect and very bad at another. So, um, you know, distance running or running in general was just kind of a part of other sports until that point in my life. And then I sort of realized with that and then eventually track and field day and things like that, that you can actually just go out and run a little bit longer and you may have a little bit of a different outcome. So that was maybe my first taste. It was really, uh, elementary in the sense that at that point in time running was like my dad would take me to a you know the high school track maybe two or three times a week during like the track and field season and I would just run an all-out mile every time and it was like at that age and in that part of my development it was like you pretty much run a little bit faster each time and then that was the motivator I guess uh it wasn't really until uh high school and college I started kind of starting to take it a little more seriously mostly college high school I um, sort of started taking it seriously probably by my senior year, but wasn't really aware of the hows and whys. It is more just like, thankfully I had a good coach. So I was doing mostly the right things, but I was just basically following along. Um, college, I started to kind of get more curious about, uh, just why you do certain workouts and what is the purpose of this and kind of what am I actually good at and bad at within the context of endurance sport versus just like sport in general. And that got really interesting to me. And post-college, when I was kind of removed from the team atmosphere for the first time when it came to running, started just to gravitate towards the workouts that I enjoyed the most through that experience. And that happened to be the long run. And uh, I started doing a lot of that and just building up kind of my overall volume for a couple of years. And that sort of led me into uh, doing ultra marathons eventually. So I did my first ultra marathon in 2011. And or I'm sorry, in 2010, I did my first one, but my first kind of full season of ultra marathoning was end of 2011. And since then I've basically been hooked on, on the longer stuff. Okay. And so let's go back to, um, got this high school and then college, you mentioned team, but running 
by and large is an individualistic sport. I mean, I guess there are track and field teams, of course, but, mm-hmm. but you're out there with your own mind that you're competing against in some level. I'm guessing, I, I, listen, I am not a runner, so I'm not trying to say that. I know I'm, I'm just thinking about it for me. Thinking about when you talk about the bodies and types, um, was there an appeal to the sense of I'm competing potentially against the mind or was it, I want to compete with other people. And then how does the team element impact or sway your decision? Because I, I come from traditional sport, like football, you know, hitting and contact, short burst. And so uh, this is kind of antithetical to what I would have thought about sports. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think like the main the main driver for running is going to be kind of a little more like internal in the sense that there's going to be a, a motivation that you need to find and a reason that you need to find. And then it's challenging yourself. And I think people who stick with it tend to measure their own progress versus their progress against other people. That doesn't mean that that can't be a component or like a lever to pull, so to speak. And, you know, for me, the evolution was probably like, first of all, it was what I was best at. So that was like the big driver as like a 12 year old. It's like the question was, well, I can win the mile or I can get sixth in the hundred meter dash. I'm picking the mile (laughs) kind of a mentality. And then by, by like high school was the first time I think the team atmosphere actually played a little bit of a bigger role than I would have imagined prior to that. By my senior year, our team had a chance of making the state meet and uh, our coach did a really good job of kind of getting us really amped up about that, that, that potential. And then it became like, okay, I have to run a good race, but I have to have my other teammates be in a position to also run a good race because it's going to take each one of us from one through five to put up a, a solid performance or for us to move to the next level and things like that. Um, yeah. And then it was, uh, in college, I wasn't nearly good enough at like the standard Olympic distance events to like really be a huge impact. So I think at that point in my career, like there was still, you know, part of the team trying to compete for it and things like that. But there was also a big component of like self-development at that point too, because I wasn't like, you know, the top runner or even scoring points at the national level or anything like that. So uh, there I kind of learned again, just like what the reasons I wanted to do it for, and just, just reminded myself that I actually enjoyed that sport. And it was something I wanted to kind of put energy into outside of just, uh, you know, participating on a team or doing it as a, like a collegiate sport. So that's where I kind of learned that after college, it was going to still fill a, a spot in my life, uh, in terms of like where I wanted to kind of improve my physical fitness and test my limits and stuff like that. And, And then, you know, over time you start learning all those other things that go along with it, where it's like, if I lay out a really well-planned training buildup and race, there's a lot of lessons to be pulled from that in other areas of life. from just like planning and, and adapting to things. Cause like even you take my best races ever. And then you look at like the 16 to maybe 24 weeks that I spent kind of preparing for that. Like none of it goes exactly that the way you planned it to. Uh, but that's part of it. It's like, there's going to be things that you don't expect that happen. There are going to be workouts that are either suboptimal um, or that you miss altogether. And you have to be able to kind of navigate that and get the best out of the circumstances that you're in. And I think like that really stood out to me as something that you can just pretty much plug and play in anything you do in life. It's like you, you want to be planned. You want to have a scaffolding around kind of what your long-term goals are, but you also have to have small benchmarks along the way. You also have to have the ability to pick pick the best path forward when something unexpected happened and not have that kind of derail you mentally. And, you know, every year I feel like I pick up something new that I find is like a really like something I kind of wish like, Hey, I wish I would have thought of this 10 years ago and implemented it back then. Uh, but I think that's the, what makes the journey fun. So 
now in hindsight, being 37, um, 5'11", 6 foot, um, not overly athletic. I've looked back and go, you know, I spent from 4 to 18 playing football. Loved it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was uh, undersized offensive lineman. You know, I never tried to be kicker. Um, I never thought about running um, or playing tennis or bowling or any of the sports that I actually may have had a shot of doing something where the talent would have been more geared to, to my size and athletic ability. I'm competing in a sport, as you say, where you're comparing yourself to the kind of the, the hundred meter where it's, you know, you might get top six. Well, you know, I'm competing in a sport where I have no shot. As society, is there, do you think that we should reevaluate pushing kids um, to sports to where it is going to be an uphill battle and they're probably not going to get past the high school level or push them to something that maybe that their body's a little bit more the right size for to compete longer through life? Yeah, that's a good question. I think on, on one hand, I like diversity of sports at a younger age because I find when you get too one-dimensional, you end up kind of in a situation where I think that causes some problems down downfield that are maybe not something you expect at the time. And things like you get some of these sports like tennis, baseball, uh, those are probably maybe golf to some degree, but like you're kind of using one side of your body more dominantly. And then that sort of development can create imbalances that you may have to deal with if you decide to say switch to a different sport as an adult, because you no longer have access to some of those more, uh, ones that take a little more structure to do. So on one hand, I really like kind of getting the exposure to everything because really, I don't know that I find what I'm best at if I had just like gravitated to one sport too early. Uh, You know, for me, I did all the sports up until early high school for the most part. And even then I was still doing the other sports as a more just kind of like, as for fun, just not on like structured teams and things like that. And I think that's probably helped me stay a little more a little more durable with the running stuff. Cause I didn't get into it so early that I was trying to train beyond what my capacity was at an early age. I learned to like the sport versus getting it forced upon me. And then I was able to kind of develop within it at a slow enough pace that I probably didn't develop too many, uh, kind of imbalances or things that could potentially come back to bite me later on down the road. So I kind of do like that, but in the sense of like getting someone to be very, very good at something, you know, especially if you're looking at like top end in the world, I mean, you're looking at like such an uphill battle for the average, you know, even like very, very capable physical person that, you know, someone's going to start early. So if you don't, then, you know, you may get left behind. So I think there is probably a divide between like, does this person want to be like, like a professional in that sport versus this person wants to be fit and healthy their whole life. Let's give them as many options as they can so that when they get removed from the structures that we see in like middle school, high school and college. And it's like totally up to them, whether they show up at the gym or not, go for the run or not join some rec league or something like that. They have those tools that feel comfortable enough that they can do it. And I think that's probably what is uh, um, going to be in most people's best interest. Yeah. And I think that's more what I'm saying. Not that obviously if I would have went back in time, I would have been a world-class kicker runner or any of that stuff. It's just relative to my, my, my physique, especially to a high school, Mm -hmm. that would have been probably a better, use of my body and it's something that could have carried me um beyond high school um you know um as this is something I, I could do longer whereas football you know you know the day I, the, the day of my last game was the day of my last game in high school there's no yeah. yes ands or buts about it and so this uh, and, and i think you're you're on something there about the 
the multiple sports is, especially at a young age, it seems to be um, quite helpful because a, if the parents are being observant, they can be exposed to what the kid is good at, not by, by putting them in different environments and kind of have a better trajectory of um, what the kid would do. But on top of that, playing different sports, you have to use different, um, different mentalities, different, you know, different awarenesses. Um, some, you know, for football, you're a little bit more amped up with baseball. It's a little bit more, a little bit more laid back, you know, mm-hmm. so basketball, yeah. you got to do a lot of running. So you can kind of, look at a kid's mentality and those things and see how they compete and how they respond to those different environments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely like see, see kind of how they, what they gravitate to and stuff like that. And and a lot of times I think kids are probably going to gravitate to what they're a little more competent at, or they feel more comfortable in. So sometimes it sort of solves itself to to a degree. Okay. So you go to college and then um, you, you decide this is what I don't understand. You decide, hey, uh, you know, I want to run a mile, which I can't comprehend. Like me running a mile, I don't think I've ever run a mile consistently in my life. My life, I did a 5K one time, but I did not run the full thing. Um, so you say, no, 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 a mile's not enough. You go, well, no, no, 10 miles not enough. You, you run like between cities. <laughs> like, <laughs> like horses yeah. don't run this far. <laughs> like, like, help me, help me understand. Like a hundred yeah. miles, like, I, I, you know, if I got to drive a hundred miles, I got to pack a snack. I got to think about <laughs> gas. I got to make arrangements. And you're like, no, I'm just going to go, go run that. Like, how does that happen? Yeah. You, you, I think there's, there is the interesting thing about ultra marathons is like, there are some like really wide ranging kind of introductions to the sport or decisions. And it gets from everything uh, to like, I had a guy on my podcast yesterday who just, he just decided he was like, you know, out of shape like overweight and he was just like screw it and he just signed up for i think it was an iron man triathlon and then he didn't even know what a full iron man was he just signed up for it because he thought it looked cool and then went to work the next day and his uh, co-workers were like dude you're gonna have to like bike over 100 miles run 26 <laughs> points and he's right. like oh no but i mean this dude was a former military guy so he was like you know probably more equipped to take on something that was like seemingly un- un- undoable for the average person without worrying about it too much and he got it done but then you get like someone like myself who, you know, for the majority of my life, and you had told me that I was going to, you know, break world and American records at distances of a hundred miles or even just run a hundred miles. I would have probably laughed at you. In fact, my sophomore year in college, when I spoke to my cross country coach for the first time, you know, I was just curious about what it takes to get on the team at that point. And I wanted to know what the outlook was. And he kind of laid it out to me, like what the freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors are doing in training and like where they're peaking out with mileage and things like that. And I remember him telling me that the juniors and seniors are sometimes running 90 to hundred miles in a week. And I remember at that point, I was just thinking, well, I didn't even have a, like a concept in my head that you would ever run seven days in a week. You'd always want one day off at least. And I'm thinking, well, for 90 miles, that means I got to be going like 15 miles a day for six days in a row. I was like, this is never going to happen. So like, you know, you catch me at that point in my life where I was like 19, 20, you know, I'm not even thinking about running hundred miles in a week as realistic versus in a day. So it's one of those things where then you kind of get into it and you realize, oh, I can do 50 miles a week. Oh, I can do 60 to 70 miles a week. And then the next year you find yourself in that spot where he told me as a junior or a senior, you know, doing those bigger volume training weeks. And, and for me, I think at that point, it was just kind of slowly kind of learning what I was capable of versus 
having to stare down this like big goal of running a hundred miles or breaking records at a hundred miles and things like that. So early on that you kind of get paralysis by analysis to some degree. I didn't really have that, that outlook. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it kind of snuck up on me, I guess you could say. And in fact, the first ultra marathon I ever did was a 50 miler in Wisconsin. And I wasn't even looking to run a 50 miler. I was actually looking for a marathon to prepare for that fall. And I was just looking at what was kind of around the the state. You know, I was going to be going back to grad school that year. So I was like, I got to find something that's relatively close and isn't going to break the bank. And I found this, I just, as I was going through, I realized this is the first time I even realized there was a 50 miler in the state of Wisconsin. And I was, I, I found this, well, this one that was like within 90 minutes of where I was living. I was like, oh, sweet. This is cool. Maybe I'll just try this out. And then if, if it really sucks, I'll never do it again, or at least wait until I'm like 30 or so to start doing things that long. And, but at least I'll get a taste of it now. And I, I, you know, I jumped in that one and that was 2010 and I ended up winning it. And that kind of got me like a little more excited about like where the prospects were within just stretching out beyond kind of the marathon and some of these more standard Olympic distances. Okay. So you just said that you signed up to run 50 miles. Had you ever, I mean, you're talking a minute ago about 15 miles a day, yeah. miles a week. <laughs> Had you ever actually ran I don't even know when you're saying you're running 50 miles, you've got to stop. So, so like maybe unpack that for us. Yeah. When you're saying you're running 50 miles, what does that mean practically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I had that point in my running, I had gotten to a point where I was consistently training over a hundred miles per week. And I had done a few marathons, you know, in hindsight, I didn't really prepare for them optimally. Like if I were to go back and say, I'm going to try to run as fast of a marathon as I possibly could, I would do things much differently. Uh, but at that time, it was sort of a combination of, I think I had enough confidence in what I was able to do based on kind of where I had gotten from just a training standpoint compared to where I thought I was, because I wasn't too far removed from that sophomore person that was like totally convinced 90 miles per week was too much. And now here I was sitting there, you know, sometimes hitting training weeks, you know, up into the 120 mile range. And thinking, you know what, you start to normalize things like 50 mile races at that point, because you're just getting a little bit closer to making it realistic. But with that said, you know, my longest long run going into that race was 30 miles. So there was this big, uh, you know, kind of, I'm jump. sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to cut you off. <clears throat> you just said my longest long run was longer than a marathon. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. It gets, Sorry, it gets goofy. <laughs> it gets, gets, run gets even goofier. This is, this is like entry level absurdity for ultra runners, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty funny. Cause like, I mean, when you think about it, you know, the, the other thing that probably kind of had me convinced that I could do it was I started kind of getting a little more interested in ultra marathon running just in general, like, you know, about what the sport was even, and I had read a couple of books that kind of dealt with the sport. And there was this very clear message there where it was like, you kind of just prepare the best you can. And then on race day, you're on this mission to explore something you've never experienced before. So in a lot of endurance races, historically, it would be like, you kind of pick a distance you like, or one that's exciting to you. And then you try to improve it. So you might run a ton of them over time and just see how fast you can get at it. Ultra running has that too, especially nowadays. But back when I started, there was a bigger pull, I think, to just like explore going further than you ever had before. So someone might say like run a 50K, then a few months later, run a 50 mile, then maybe a 100K, then maybe a 100 mile. And they're kind of just seeking like this extension and distance versus an optimization of how fast they can run for a specific distance or period of time. And 
so I kind of got like informed enough of that kind of mentality that I went into that thinking like, all right, today is this journey of seeing or putting my body in a position where it's never been before and kind of exploring. And that was the draw. That was the excitement. And uh, yeah, getting that first taste of, you know, running 20 miles further than I had ever run in a single day uh, was, was pretty fulfilling in the sense that like, you know, you get to those points, you experience something you didn't know you were going to experience and you have to try to navigate that. There's a certain kind of like draw to that where it sort of kind of becomes a little bit of a slippery slope, I think, where then you think like, well, if that happened with 50 miles, what's the experience in a longer distance? And, and yeah, so um, I think like there's definitely some ignorance in that ignorance can be useful to some degree because you don't necessarily know how bad it might get out there. And because of that, you find yourself at least getting to that point and then, you know, dealing with it then versus like stressing out about it coming up. And, uh, and but yeah, I think everyone's got a little bit of a different s- story, but a lot of it kind of ends up kind of being a little bit like that. So on a 50 mile run, how many stops do you take? Yeah. So it gets really interesting. Most of the races nowadays are on trails. So they'll, the way they have it set up is you'll have aid stations every so often, like most events, it's like between five to seven miles or so in most cases for an average where every five to seven miles, you get to the spot where they have just like a whole like buffet of different like snacks, foods, drinks, and things like that out there where you can pick up, or you can have what they call like a drop bag where you have your own stuff sitting there waiting for you. And you're basically going to try to keep moving up until you get to that aid station. And then you grab what you need and try to get out. So you can get as efficient as someone who, if the course is accommodating enough, where you have someone called a crew person where they're coming and giving you that stuff, which in some cases you can sort of just kind of run right through, throw your old stuff down, grab your new stuff and keep going. So it's not too uncommon for some of the faster folks in the sport to kind of not stop at all if uh, the distance is uh, supported enough. But if it's one where you can't have crew, then you're kind of like, you're only really stopping because you have to, to kind of resupply and make sure you're fueled and hydrated. Uh, You get to some goofy events though. Like there's like timed events too, like 12, how far you can run 12 hours, 24 hours, or you can do a distance. Like how fast can you run hundred miles on a very controlled surface? Uh, The most controlled is like a 400 meter track. And um, for those ones, there really is no reason to stop because you're never more than like, you know, a couple minutes away from a table that has all your stuff there and a person willing to hand it to you. So if you stop, it's because you have to use the bathroom or because you decided you needed, you wanted to stop. And it was like, you know, you're maybe coping a little bit with a little, a little bit of a, a rough patch. Uh, so I've had hundred mile races, my most efficient I did. I stopped a total of like 60 to 90 seconds total throughout the course of the entire, it was 11 hours and 40 minutes that it took me to run hundred miles on that one, but I had only stopped twice to use the bathroom. Everything else was just handing off bottles and nutrition and whatever it happened to be. And then you kind of keep chugging along. So, um, yeah, it gets wild. <laughs> Talk to me about, um, a, the mentality, um, of, you know, what is going through your head? Cause this is a long period of time, a lot of terrain, you know, and then how are you, analyzing you said you don't have to stop practically how do you analyze your body because i'm obviously your body's getting fatigued on some level like mm-hmm. how do you how are you aware that you're okay to keep pushing it because you ran 20 miles further than you ever had before so like how do you know that your body can do that yeah yeah and i think it gets a lot fuzzier um as you get out in distance because then especially if it's a distance you haven't done before so you can fine tune it a bit as you get into the sport you know so i've been doing it now for 
almost 12 years, little, yeah, almost, almost 12 years. And because of that, a lot of the distances that I'm interested in, I've done already. So I sort of know kind of the, you know, where my limitations maybe are, or where my potential uh, spots are. So then you kind of pace accordingly on those, but you know, you're always coming in with a different level of fitness or like com compounded fitness from different training blocks leading into this new one. Uh, so there's always this little bit of incentive of like how aggressive of a goal do you want to kind of base your pacing off of. And what I like to do for that is like kind of a feature to a lot of uh, ultra marathons, especially the longer ones is doing rather than like having this long run that you'll do once a week, which you'll see oftentimes in most endurance training plans, you might actually double up or even sometimes triple up on that where you do like two or three consecutive days where you're doing like longer mileage kind of close to race pace or your goal race pace. So for me, if I have like a really big training week that's ended with two or three back-to-back -back long runs, and by that last one, I can kind of run at a pace. It doesn't feel like I'm like really trying to redline or push it. Uh, it'll produce a certain pace at a certain effort. I can get pretty close to kind of predicting about what is a reasonable target to do during a race. And then it's just about kind of sticking to that. The part that gets, I think the most interesting is that mental component. So like if I, if I'm really, really fit and I know, Hey, I can average this pace for this distance. I still have to wrap my head around that for doing it. And what I find is if I'm standing on the starting line and I'm already thinking about how do I get to the finish line, I'm just going to like spend so much mental currency over the course of that day that by the time I get to the point at the end where I really need to be focused and, and dial in, I've just kind of burnt all those mental matches and I don't have much to give. And that's when I think you see a lot of, uh, a lot of like poor finishes and things like that. Uh, so for what I try to do is I have a goal and then I have a pace or like an intensity that I, that I believe is going to be sustainable or in my best interest. And I kind of dial that in. And then from there, I'm focusing on check marks, like trying to get to certain benchmarks along the way. Uh, and some of it's like distance based. If it's on a trail, it might be like just getting from one aid station to the next. If it's something controlled, like a 400 meter track, it might be like distance spots like 20 miles in 30 miles in 40 miles in 50 miles in and then instead of thinking like about getting to 100 miles the entire way i'm just thinking about getting to that next spot in a specific range of time and then sort of like taking on the next objective and and really this is where it kind of gets to where i was talking about kind of in the beginning of just how this kind of applies to just any long-term goal where mm -hmm. you you have to put yourself in a mental position where you know what the goal is you know what the objective is but then how do you kind of cut that up in a way that's manageable enough so you can actually get started and actually make productive steps towards that versus uh, kind of spinning your wheels because there's just so much to do and you don't know where to start or where to kind of pivot and things like that. So it's almost like a gamification you have going on then. Mm -hmm. You're saying, okay, yeah, I hit this goal and this goal and you kind of get that um, release of uh, you've succeeded by mm -hmm. hitting this mark, hitting this mark, but you're doing it for a hundred miles. Yeah. Uh -huh. so it's a continued gamification type model, it sounds like. Absolutely. And I think it can get even more complex if you start looking at that through the lens for through that lens during training as well. So this is one thing that I've done a lot differently the last few years that that I didn't do much of earlier on in my running, at least my ultra running career, which is just thinking about the mental aspect of the race itself during training. So I think most of my ultra running career, I would think about just the physiological needs that I'm going to have, uh, with like, you know, putting in the right workouts and those definitely are worth thinking about. But then at a certain point, I got to a point where I'm like, well, 
if I'm actually kind of putting myself in a position to troubleshoot or work through kind of the mental lows that I'm going to have on race day in workouts or recognizing them, it's going to be more intuitive and it's going to happen more naturally in a race. I won't have to necessarily overthink it to get it to happen. So I can do that basically regardless of what type of workout it is. Now, the most specific is going to be the long run because that's going to be kind of tied to the pace or intensity it'll do on race day. But for something like that, like if I'm doing say a 30 mile long run, you know, I might be that entire time just imagining like when I started that long run that I was at mile 70 of the hundred mile race I'm about to do. And I'm just visualizing what it's going to be like to go from 70 to a hundred. And if I do that, like a few times in kind of my peaking phase before the race, I'll find myself in a position where, uh, when I get to that point in the race, it goes from, instead of thinking, Oh, I got 70 miles in my legs. I'm getting tired. I'm getting sore. Uh, I'm starting to get mentally weaker, but I still have 30 miles to go. It kind of spins it from that to oh, 30 miles is something I've done multiple times leading into this race. I know what to do here. I know how to take care of myself to make this sustainable. You remove yourself from running hundred miles that day. And now you're just doing one more long run, which is something you've been consistently doing the past few weeks. And you normalize something that would be otherwise kind of absurd in your mind by, I think, practicing that and kind of having those dress rehearsals and practice that you wouldn't be able to kind of replicate because the distance of the race is so long. Yeah. And you, you said earlier, kind of having these big goals in life and you kind of reverse engineer what it takes to get it done. Mm-hmm. And by doing, you know, it's the, with the old adage of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? <laughs> but, but these things, we talk about them as if they're cliche, but hearing you break down the race, me being overweight going, you know, maybe one day I can run hundred miles. I'm not, yeah. but, but, but you hear it, you go, Oh, it's actually, because it's not walking out there, go to run hundred miles a day. That would never happen. I couldn't run one mile today, but hearing you reverse engineer the process, that, that, that one thing gives the inspiration to people, whether they're in business or life or whatever, they can, they can probably accomplish a lot more. Uh, but then it's not only the reverse engineering, it's the forward application of that reverse engineering, right? So once you've reverse engineered it, then it's sticking to that, going back up the ladder um, and, and staying in that mindset. It seems that we kind of get lost on, on that spectrum of, I'm a reverse engineer something, but then once you reverse engineer it, you, you've got to go forward now and actually actually do mm-hmm. those things in those small yeah. chunks. And it's, it's hard to remember that part as well, it seems. It is. And what I find is helpful with that too, is once you kind of learn, and this is maybe where the, one of the biggest values in understanding like what a specific workout is supposed to do, or at least understanding like what it looks like to improve on it is very helpful. So like if I'm early on in a training phase, my coaching and my training philosophy is kind of centered around consistency, micro stressing, which essentially means like you're going to push yourself a little bit more than what you're currently used to so that you elicit that physiological response to get stronger, but not so much that you're taking future training off the table because you can't recover in time. And then you have uh, an order of operations that is going to be like least specific to most specific. So there are things that are important to run, I think a fast hundred mile time, but are very different from what you're going to be doing on race day. So For that, it tends to be like shorter, faster interval sessions where like I might be running between two to four minutes at a pretty hard pace and then running an equal amount of time, very slow and easy to recover and just doing a series of those intervals. And that's a useful workout to get faster at hundred miles, but it's very unuseful on race day because it's just much too fast and way unsustainable. But when I'm doing those, that phase of training early on, instead of thinking about like, oh, my goal is to run hundred miles at this time. At that point in my training, I'm thinking about okay, how fast am I able to cover that time frame at a specific intensity? And then where does that sit at week one? Where does that sit at week two? Where does that sit at week three? 
And I can see those improvements happen within those short intervals over the course of weeks. And that is kind of the motivator. That's the driver. It's like you kind of, you gamify it in, in that sense of trying to, you know, perfect the, the, the focus at the moment before moving on to the next stage of training. And then thinking about like where the improvements look for when I'm focusing on uh, something like longer intervals or an intensity that I could sustain for say like 60 minutes all out. And then what do I do when I move on from that in terms of like, how do I uh, structure the build out of my back-to-back long runs or my long run development? Like, where is, uh, you know, this one tends to be a little more uh, distance-based or time-based where it's like, well, for the first weekend, maybe I'm just doing like two and a half to three hours once, but then by that sixth one, I might be doing, you know, three to four hours uh, on back-to-back days. And, uh, you know, you're kind of, you're, the improvement is kind of getting from that one stage to the next within that developmental goal all these things are going to help you run that better hundred mile time, but none of them need to be like overly fixated on the other one while you're in the current one. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because to hear you talk about all this, it's, it's the, the human psyche is kind of interesting, which is if you figure out the plan and then you kind of make this gamification model, when you hit the goal, it's not as if you're disappointed. You hit the goal. You you feel like you've done something, but you knew that you were going to do it. Because you set the proper plan in place. It's, it's really kind of a, a weird how that works and how it can be used to springboard you forward, whether it's for running or, or anything else. And so it, what is it you think about the human psyche where, where we can set a goal, we achieve the goal, and we still feel like we've accomplished the thing, even though we knew uh, and some things you don't know. You might say, well, we're going to try to win the Super Bowl. And it's like, okay, that's there's a lot of factors involved in that. But something like this, um, completing a race, maybe not winning a race, you can probably relatively measure the things and have a pretty good chance that you're going to succeed as far as finishing the race goes. Um, and yet when you get through, you feel accomplished. Why are we that way? What, 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 why are we wired that way to when we hit the goal that we expected to hit, we still feel like we accomplished and how do we double down on that? So we could hit more goals. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of thought experiment to some degree. I think it's like you're, I think when you set a goal, you know, most people are going to set a goal that feels like they're going to have to, maybe get uncomfortable for a period of time in order to do it. Cause otherwise you're just kind of sustaining or maintaining. And then it's like, what's the goal? If the goal is just to kind of like stay where you're at, then uh, you know, where's the big driver that you're going to have to find a different why I think at that point. And if your goal is going to be something that involves you doing something you never have before, now you kind of have that uncharted territory thing. And that brings that elicits this like need to do things that are hard. And I think humans in general, are wired to get fulfillment from doing things hard, even though it can be sometimes difficult to motivate yourself to do it in the moment. But I think that's where kind of the, the, those contrasting emotions actually play in your favor because you have this weird kind of dichotomy where I don't want to do this workout, but I know when I finish it, I'm going to feel great and feel accomplished. And that may set me up for a really high quality rest of my day outside of running. And you start to get like enough of those experiences, you kind of find yourself in a situation where like you start to like, you know, trust that a little bit and and then get, get the work in like one at a time until you get there. And I think you, you end up in a situation where the, the path to the goal becomes as rewarding as the goal itself. And when you start kind of getting into that mindset, then it's something that you want to reproduce. So you just start resetting goals that are maybe a little more aggressive than the previous one. Or if you didn't meet your goal, maybe you go back to the drawing board and try to figure out, well, what did I do wrong? 
And I just think it's like, it probably favors someone with a mindset of just like, I want to problem solve. I want to try to like make self-improvement and things like that. But these are all things that I think, you know, even though they're uncomfortable at times, they're generally things that make people feel good when they actually get in and do it. And then once people experience that, they are, they're hooked and they, they want to kind of like continue that process. They're almost like let in on something they would have otherwise expected. Uh, and you see really good examples of this too, like in this, in the sport where it's like, I mean, you get these guys like David Goggins, who mm. um, he's probably one of the more recognizable ultra marathoners just because of the way he did it, where it was like, you know, he was way overweight, out of shape, tried to go around the block once and didn't, I can't remember if he made it around the block the first time or not. It was a, right. you know, most people given what, what David's done now would consider it a failure. And, you know, he was just like, well, you know, he's looking at it from a lens of this is what I was able to do today. I got to show up tomorrow and do it a little bit better. I got to show up the next day and do it a little bit better. And then he finds himself running you know, 200 mile races and things like that. And, you know, being getting into the Navy SEALs and all sorts of other things that, you know, most people would probably on first impulse just be like, yeah, I can't do that. Uh, so I think there's just like a draw to like, kind of like finding that to some degree. And then um, whether that draw from the psyche standpoint, whether that's like a survival mechanism that is kind of like still embedded in us uh, prior to modern civilization is, is, is maybe like the best way to think about it. Yeah. And so part of the thing though, I think that as people, as at least I'm hearing you talk about this, it's so impressive. And I go, okay, I can actually see myself reverse engineering the mileage, but I got to eat healthy. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's a holistic lifestyle. So you have tapped into something that either a, maybe you didn't like to eat a sleeve of Oreos or, or whatever. I don't know. Maybe you, you talk about that, but, but you've tapped into something to where it's a holistic approach to your life. This is, you know, and so how, what makes runners like yourself that, that is, is it the high, how do you maintain this to where you're not tempted to go, just pound the Oreos or the Cokes or mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. I think ultimately it's just being honest with yourself in terms of like what things are going to be like immediate gratification rewards that are going to potentially carry long-term negatives or even like relatively short-term negatives, like the sleep of Oreos just probably feels great for the minutes it takes you to eat them. But then it does. every minute, every minute after <laughs> that's immediate regret for the yeah. most part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so true. like, but then, the opposite of that is like a hard workout. So like you, the reward is far enough away where you're like, do I really want to put myself through that to get it? Is the, is it really worth it? But then you do it and you finish and you just like laugh at yourself. Cause you're like, why did I ever think that that was a bad idea? This was clearly the right path forward. And you start looking at that or you get that experience in one thing. It doesn't have to be running. That could be from anything. It could be from just like the way you kind of structure your career or the way you go about anything and you get that experience of like, you know, putting the reward after something that's difficult versus kind of having the reward given to you before you do the work. You got to think of it that other way. I think like, I mean, especially nowadays, I think a lot of times we find ourselves in a situation where we get to this like mindset of, I want to be given something and then I'll prove that I deserved it. And it's like, no, really to feel good about that. I think you need to do the work and then get the reward because that's, what's going to be lasting. And that's, what's going to give you that long-term fulfillment. So you do that with one area of your life. And then you start to see like where that, where that carries over into other things and you start implementing it. And I think it just like leads to like, when you look back on it, like I'm not looking back on what I've done the last 10 years as like, you know, an endless line of sleeves of Oreos that are just like adding to the regret pile. It's like, I'm looking at things that were like, 
yeah, a lot of that was hard. A lot of that was difficult. There were times where I was hating myself for doing it, but now in hindsight, I look back and I think like, wow, that really made me a better person. That made me more equipped to take on, you know, things that I would have never thought were doable for, for me in the past. And you get those like really long lasting things that don't go away uh, versus the immediate gravitation of like reward first consequence later. Yeah. You mentioned uh, David Goggins a minute ago. So he is kind of a, uh, if you're not following ultra marathons, you're probably aware of him because he's a big personality. Mm-hmm. Like from you're you're the insider here. Is he an uh, not to be disparaging, but like is he, is he an average runner? Is he above average? Is is what he doing? Is what he's doing unique, or is it what the community as a whole is probably doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. David Goggins is. I mean, he's above average for sure, but I mean, he wouldn't be like top of the podium at like the major races in most cases. So like. I think like ultra running is interesting because you have this scenario where it's unlike some of the other sports where like, if I'm watching like my favorite NFL football team, I can like watch them. But in terms of participating in a game of football and being anywhere near them is like never going to happen. But with running, you can be at one of the most competitive races in the world. And you might have the best runner in the world standing on that starting line. You might have the the, the person who's going to finish last at that race is going to be standing on that starting line. So there's this like, there's this like community of just like everyone is out there doing the hard thing and it's going to, they're going to all get that same experience, whether you finish first, middle or last. So there's a lot more relatable, like I think experiences where I could talk, uh, you could talk to anybody who finished that race and, and gain something or learn something and enjoy kind of their story. And I think David's just, you know, told an incredible story because it, it is an incredible story. You know, he was, he was the guy who couldn't make it around the block. He was the guy who was like really overweight. And that probably resonates with the average person a little bit better than say like, you know, some person who ran a time on a race course that is like super unachievable for, for almost everyone else on the planet. Yeah, it does. It does feel, that's what my question about the, about the children earlier is tied into this because it does feel now where um, people, obviously the major sports, the major sports, they still will be, but there is kind of a, a movement. It seems to, um, do things where, you know, um, you know, it's like pickleball is taking off. Least where I'm, mm-hmm. It's like, I never even heard of pickleball until a few years ago. Now everyone's playing pickleball. Well, you can't play tennis or you can't play at a high level of tennis, but you can play pickleball probably yeah. pretty decent, mm-hmm. at least with your friends and stuff it kind of re shifts the balance where you can actually compete. Okay. So a um, couple questions here, just about um, the general uh, in, uh, uh, industry or uh, sport, if you will. Um, sure. My understanding and correct me if I'm wrong is at a certain distance, and maybe this is wrong, but I think I heard this somewhere, a certain distance that men and women in ultra marathons compete about the same. Is, is that true or false? Um, I would say, say it's mostly false. Uh, you know, you can always, so ultra running, the difference between ultra running and some of the other events is like the definition is like so wide ranging. I mean, like 50 kilometers is like what most people consider the entry to ultra marathoning. And that's, you know, basically a marathon. Now you can do it at 10,000 feet up and down mountainsides, and then it's going to take a lot longer to finish. Uh, but then you also have, I mean, they got events now where there's this one that's happening right now, actually in New York, where they run 3,100 miles around a point, I think it's like 0.58 miles around this little, like this loop. And they run for 16 hours a day and they take eight hours off and they just keep doing that until you get to 3,100 miles. So 3,100 miles. Yeah. Yeah. That's so like I mean, it's the like, distance from San Diego to Atlanta. I mean, yep. Like yeah. Country. It's a cross country. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you'd be like running from San Francisco to New York, essentially. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, you get to like events that are that long and I don't know that there's necessarily like 
a biological advantage from male to female at that point in time, mm-hmm. there's likely probably still going to be like a percentage of things where like there's, I mean, I'd have to look to see this for sure, but my guess is there's a higher percentage of men doing that than women doing that. And just by having more numbers, you're likely going to produce higher results for that. But if we look at just like the top races, ultra marathon race, most competitive ones in the world, which I'd put like the Comrades Ultra Marathon, which is like about 56 mile race in South Africa. And then you have like the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, which is about 105 miles uh, over in Europe and the Western States 100. We see about the same percentage split between like the top male and the top female runners in those, you know, it's going to still be around like that 10% difference. So like now the, the, the interesting thing about ultra marathoning, where it does kind of appear that way is you have such a range in competitiveness and different events. You have like these really small kind of like little mom and pop events where, you know, there's just like the top in the sport just typically aren't showing up. And then you have the races like ultra trail Mont Blanc, Western States and commerce where every year there's going to be dozens of world-class athletes there. So if you're like, you know, close to the top or even at the top and you show up to one of these kind of like smaller or middle um, competitive races, you could definitely win it as, as a female over the, and beat all the men there. If like the top men don't go to that race or something like that. So we see that happen a fair bit. Um, and, and then there is the distance thing too, where there's like some unknown stuff. And, and there's also uh, the percentages on average in ultra marathon are still very much heavily favored towards men over women, which you know, you do have to consider that like there is uh, a numbers game there too, where there's just more, more shots taken, I guess you could yeah. say by men than women. So right. then, you know, you're going to have a, a disparity there as well. But generally speaking, I think the numbers play out pretty consistently to like what you'd see in the marathon or the half marathon, 10 K, 5 K and some of the other Olympic distances. Okay. What's the biggest mistake people make who hear something like this and go, yeah, I'm going to go do a ultra marathon. Biggest mistake. Um, I would say a lot of times when people decide that they are thinking to themselves, like they almost overthink the amount of work they're going to have to do because they start kind of fixating on the distance. And that distance has like such magnitude. They overestimate how much is going to be required for them to do it. And a lot of times people get drawn into this sport from someone else. So then they start just parroting someone else's process And like, if you took someone who's been running ultra marathons for three years and someone who's brand new to running, that person who's brand new to running, if they tried to do exactly what that three-year experience ultra runner is doing, chances are they're going to be like getting way too much stimulus and their training loads can be too high for what they're ready for. So their body's going to hit this margin of diminishing returns and they get injured or they can't consistently execute. So then they start to kind of like give up on themselves because they're trying to do more than they're ready for. Uh, really, I mean, it's like anything you want to find out where you're at and build from there. And that's going to be super unique to you. In a lot of cases, you can always find a lot of times people will try to find like training partners or friends or people who are kind of like at their point. So if they want to work with someone else, they can kind of match up different things better, but it is an individual exploration at the end of the day, in terms of like how you want to structure your plan perfectly. Uh, so being mindful of that, I think is, is the the number one concern I would say for people trying to get into sport for the first time. What was your lowest, worst, hardest moment of running? Um, I've had a couple that were kind of like discouraging. Um, 
at World 100K Championships in 2015, I was really fit that year going into that. And I had finished sixth in the world the year prior and our team had won gold and I was second on the team. And so I was ready to kind of like see, okay, I was sixth last year, um, second on the team. I was, uh, based on the prior year, the fastest returning runner for Team USA and uh, got out, started having, I had a, I, I had what I thought was a really, really good first 50 K and the, I still not hundred percent sure exactly what happened. I had some sort of like allergic reaction and ended up like getting like really short of breath and pulled off the course at around 50 miles and was like swept into an ambulance right away and taken to the hospital. And I said, my race was over as soon as I was in that ambulance. And um, yeah, having like that fitness in that kind of a venue would have been nice to really kind of execute. Um, I've had a few other ones where they, at the moment they were like, I wouldn't call them failures, but they were like short of my goal that really kind of like stuck with me for a bit in 2015. I did a hundred miler at this event called the desert solstice track invitational. And I was targeting the world record for hundred miles. And I was on pace for the world record all day, basically through 80 miles. I needed to run like slower than the, what was the current world record pace for the remaining two, 20 miles. And I, I just slowly depreciated past that pace until, you know, the world record slipped by. And, um, that one I was really fit for too. I had a really good buildup. So I kind of looked at that as like, where was the mistake that I made that would have got me to the world record that I didn't do. So I thought about that one a lot over the years before, um, thankfully I I ended up breaking the world record in 2019, the, the world record at the time anyway. Um, so I sort of was able to kind of like use that as motivation, I think. But at the time it felt like kind of a, I wouldn't say a setback, but definitely one where I was wondering kind of like, what could I have done differently to kind of make that go a little smoother? Um, a third one that's kind of interesting for most people probably trying to wrap their head around this that have never run hundred miles is I had a race once where, uh, I was, I think I was in like second or third place at the time. And there was this spot where you have to go up this hill to check into an aid station, then down this hill, and then you get back onto this trail. And there was also another trail that went around that hill and then picked up. And I missed the flag that was supposed to go up to that aid station. And I went around. So I didn't realize I was off course because then I saw the flag at the bottom of the hill and thought, okay, I'm on course, kept going. And then I was told at like mile 86, when I was in like, I think second place at the time, and maybe a few minutes behind first that they were like, they didn't have me registered as checking into that aid station, which would have been back at like mile 70, I think. And I was sitting there talking to him for a few minutes, trying to figure it out. And after a while, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the next aid station. You guys figure out if there was something that I did wrong and then tell me what I need to do at the next aid station, but I'm not just going to stay here and, and wait during the race. So I run, get to mile 93, find out on mile 93, what had happened. And they, my options were to go back from 93, all the way to 70 correct the mistake and then continued back on course towards the finish line ended up running like, you know, way over a hundred miles that day. So I ended up uh, just dropping out of that race, but it's like, you know, that was only my, I think it was my, that was my second hundred mile attempt and getting 93 miles of it was a little bit discouraging or something. just like one small mistake kind of like tanks the whole thing, sort of a situation, but yeah, those ones stand out a little bit. I mean, <laughs> I can't imagine running 93 miles <laughs> and then like, I can't imagine running that far. And then, Oh man, Oh, I'm depressed for you. Like, I'm yeah. like, Oh, the funny thing was the, the aid station worker at mile 93, when they told me the news or the scenario of what my options were, 
I was like, you know, like I was there to compete. It was the USATF hundred mile trail championships that year. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to finish like in the back of the field. If I end up running 140, whatever miles ends up being, I'd have to do to correct that mistake. And it would probably like, you know, I wasn't prepared to run that far. I wasn't like in a position where that was maybe in my best interest for the rest of the season. So for me, I like made the tactical decision of like, well, I guess, you know, that mistake was uh, enough to ruin my day. Uh, but the base station was like, well, you know, they're looking at like the cutoff because they have cutoffs where like you have to get through certain aid stations at a certain time or you have to finish under a certain threshold time but to get the finish. And, and she was like, you know, if you go back, you could still finish in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me yeah. go back on another 40 mile round. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, if this was a one-off, if this was like, this is the only time I'm ever going to stand on a hundred mile course. Yeah. I'd probably go back and correct that mistake and keep doing it. But uh... since I was planning on doing a few more i oh, cut my losses at that point man okay oh, oh, oh okay i was i was going to run 100 miles but that story has demotivated me <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing that's my excuse i'm gonna say i was i was in until you tell that story okay why don't you tell folks um you know i know you have a, a consulting business a coaching business you work with people like this uh the website where to find you anything else you want to plug or promote before we get you out of here yeah. Yeah. So the kind of the main spots, my website, you can link to all my stuff from there, whether it's social media, coaching stuff, consultations, podcasting and all that. It's just zachbitter.com, Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R.com. Um, yeah. And there I offer like kind of pre-made coaching plans that follow my philosophy at different levels from 5k all the way up to hundred miles. And even just some kind of like interesting ones, like strength athletes, uh, um, endurance guide. If I'm seeing a lot of strength athletes get into running, I think it was probably pandemic related where, you know, gyms closed are like, well, let's challenge ourselves in a different way. And then I have like my one-on-one -on -one coaching over there where you can do a different range of packages all the way up to like very, very hands-on working with me directly contacted on a daily, uh, daily basis type of stuff. And then there's ones that are a little more pared down. People don't need that much support as well. Um, yeah. And then you can also ask my podcast there, human performance outliers podcast, where I usually have people on that are doing uh things that are maybe like that look like big or grand and in, in style to some degree it doesn't necessarily always have to be ultra marathons it's a lot of fitness and health stuff too so um that's where i'm sinking some of my energy as well can you run the 100 miles for me and i get credit for it <laughs> is that part of the coaching is it is there a coaching plan for that is there, there isn't yet but you're making me think i mean there's probably a number a price point that would make sense there <laughs> Ron, you ran 100 miles. Yeah, I've got this right here. Ryan, right there it is. There's my picture, the whole thing. Here's the certificate. <laughs> yes, don't look at my stomach, but yes, I ran 100 miles. So, okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for this. We'll link to all of this in the show notes, which is at warroommedia.com. And uh, we'll be following along. And I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating world just to think about, again, someone who's never been into running, just to think about people who run and run, run, and just, it's, 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 it's quite impressive, of course, and it's, 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 it's impressive and bizarre to someone like me at the same time, right? Because you, you can appreciate on some level what's going on. I can't fully appreciate it. I haven't done it. But then you go, how, how, like, how do you, how do you say, yes, I'm going to go run, you know, from here to Dallas, Fort, Dallas, Texas, you know, like, I, I don't even, you know, that's crazy. So it's, yeah. it's, it's super impressive and uh, I'm fascinated by what you guys do and uh, we'll be following along. Yeah, well, thanks a bunch for having me on and let me share share my story. Okay, who's ready to go run? So if you are, be sure to check out Zach's website. He has a coaching service that helps people, average Joes like you and me who are trying to run, zachbitter.com. We'll link to that in the show notes at warroommedia.com, and we'll talk tomorrow.